Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here and part of our teaching team. And even before I, I became a Christian, I wanted to stop swearing. I uh, was in high school, and I realized that I had developed a very dirty mouth. And I uh, had a friend uh, who also, neither of us were Christians, but we were on the same baseball team and we're good buddies. And we felt like, you know what, this swearing thing is kind of an ugly habit. Like, it's, it's just not very good. And my parents, even now, if they heard this, they'd be like, you never did that. I'm like, you had no idea what I did and didn't do. But, uh, but I just realized this wasn't a good habit. And so this friend and I, we would uh, often figure out ways to try to, like, get ourselves to stop swearing. Uh, I remember doing lots of push-ups in the school cafeteria because every time one of us swore, we had to do 10 push-ups or something like that. We got very strong. That was the byproduct of that. But whether it was finding each other money or making each other do push-ups, we just we couldn't stop swearing. And one of the things that, that was the clearest evidence to me, actually, when I actually became a Christian, because I had grown up for a long time thinking I was a Christian, and then when I was, in, when I was 17 was when I actually think I became one. You know, you can act like a Christian, sort of. You can make all kinds of decisions, sort of. But the moment when your heart changes is when you're really a Christian. And, and one of the clearest evidences to me that my heart had really changed was all of a sudden I just stopped swearing. But that doesn't mean my mouth got all the way cleaned up. Just last uh, couple weeks ago, I was in Flagstaff, and uh, we were there having a great time, and we were out walking the NAU campus, and this just amazing rainstorm, the kind that you dream about when you live in the valley. You're like, oh my gosh, please, God, please send a rainstorm. Well, it was one of those. And uh, I was like, I told my family, okay, you guys go kind of stand under this thing. I'll run back to the car and I'll come pick you up. Well, I ran about six minutes to the car and realized I did not have my keys. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my swearing habit started again. I, and, uh, you know, I, so I, anyway... So even though that was this clear evidence of God's work in my life that I stopped swearing, it's not like my mouth and my words are a place that I feel really great about in my relationship with God. In fact, this week as I was preparing this message, I was studying and, and I kind of was taking a break and, and talked to my wife Molly on the phone and she said, how's it going? I said, you know, this is one of these weeks. I wish I could give this to someone else. And she said, why? And I said... Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And she went, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from today. Not a place of strength, not a place of, wow, if everyone talked more like me, we would really all obey this, but out of really a sense of how much I need this. And I'm just aware that as we say the phrase, all of life is all for Jesus, do we mean all of it? Really, all? Even our words? How seriously do we take that idea? I mean, that's great. All of life is all for Jesus. Yeah, it gives my job meaning. Great. But what about our words? Is all of life all for Jesus? Are we really surrendering all of ourselves to the Lord? That's what Paul is talking about in this particular section is what it looks like to live a new life where your entire life is surrendered to the Lord. 
Now, that doesn't earn you relationship with God. He's saying because you already have relationship with God, now live in this new way. So if you haven't been with us, the flow of Ephesians is chapters 1 through 3 is Paul delighting in the fact that we are saved by grace by a God who pursues us, by a God who is going to make all things new and reconcile heaven and earth, and he is making us a preview of his kingdom people. Therefore, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Walk in light of the change that's happened to you. And in this particular section, he's showing us what it looks like to put off the old self, to put off the old life that is not in conformity to Jesus, and rather to put on the new life, the new self that is in conformity to Jesus. It's this clear, take this off, put this on. I was thinking of this just recently when I saw the new documentary that's out about Mr. Rogers. It's an excellent movie, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And some of you, you know, you grew up on Mr. Rogers. Other of you are like, I don't know who that is. He, he was the godfather of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, okay, if that helps you. Uh, but this is, uh, this is Fred Rogers, and he had an elaborate practice each time when he came into the house. What did he do? He took off his coat and his work shoes And he put on his sweater and his tennis shoes. And Fred Rogers was a Christian, and there was a lot about how he intentionally shaped that show to communicate realities of the Lord. And that was one thing. I'm going to put this off. I'm going to put this on. And that's what we're called to do in this particular passage. In chapter 4, verse 22... The Apostle Paul writes, you were, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so what we've been doing over these last weeks is looking at uh, what Paul says to put off, what Paul says to put on, and then the reason. So for each of these, he says, put this off, put this on because of a, of a reason. And so that's what we're going to look at today is uh, specifically the idea of putting off rotten talk, putting on what's encouragement because we don't want to grieve the Spirit. That's where we're going to go. So let's pray. Uh, Father, you, uh, you know the vulnerability I, I feel in this moment, just knowing um, how often my words don't give grace to those who hear. And... Uh, the reality of that what I'm going to do for the next moments is share a lot of words. And so, God, would you fill me with your spirit that I could give grace, that these would be words that fit the occasion, that build us up together as a church family, seeking to please you and honor you. God, give us that grace, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at verses 29 and 30, and there Paul says first that we should put off rotten talk. Put off rotten talk. The way that he says it in the ESV translation is, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now this word corrupting is interesting, because when you look at all the different English translations, the translators translate it a little bit differently each time. A number of translations say unwholesome talk, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, some translations say, let no foul language come out of your mouth. There's some variation on kind of how this word is translated. But what the word means is rotting, decaying, filthy, putrid. It's used actually in the Gospels to describe bad trees, trees that are rotting and the wood is decaying. 
It describes bad fruit. When Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit, a, a bad tree does not produce good fruit, and a good tree does not produce bad fruit. That word bad is this word. A good tree does not produce rotting, decaying, filthy, rancid, putrid fruit. It's also used to describe fish, that when they caught fish, certain fish would be putrid and rotting and gross, and so they were to be discarded. That's the same word. And so it's interesting, Paul says, put off rotten talk, decaying talk, putrid, gross, decaying, rotting talk. Now, what's fascinating to me is he doesn't explain that. Because if you're like me, you're going, okay, well, what counts as that? <laughs> Technically, Paul, what do you mean? Like, what's unwholesome, corrupting, rotten, putrid talk? What do, what do you mean? What's fascinating is whenever you encounter rotting food, you don't really wonder. Because you I don't, this is how I usually happen. It's usually something got put in the trash can, and, uh, and I come in the house... You know, because when you're around it for a while, that olfactory fatigue thing kicks in and you don't even smell how bad it smells. Then you leave for a little bit and you come in and you're like, oh my gosh, there's something in the trash. And I don't ever go, is it technically rotten? <laughs> like, maybe it isn't. Now, the only time maybe you kind of do that is with milk. You know, the date's gone, the date's there, and you're kind of smelling it and you're going... It smell bad? I don't know. What's it supposed to smell like? You're showing, you know, you smell it. I don't know. Well, it's better safe. Right? So, but, but most of the time, if something's rotten and putrid and decaying, you know it. Well, that question to me reveals that when it comes to language, we lack the gag reflex that Paul is saying we ought to have toward our words. Right? This is really vivid imagery he's using. He's saying, let no rotten talk. Well, when you experience rotten food, you go, oh, 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 there's a gag reflex. And yet we're so accustomed to using language that is really corrupting and defiling and decaying that we don't have that gag reflex. In fact, rather, we're looking for an out. We're looking for a well. Let me explain how this probably counts as okay. And, and Paul's just... Across the board here, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So, what would be examples of rotten talk? Well, I made a list of ten things. I'm sure there's more. One would be crudeness. Inappropriate jokes, innuendos, off-color language, swearing. Just, just crude language. The kind of stuff that for me, before I was even a Christian, me and my non-Christian teammate were going, this is just kind of ugly. This is crude. We just probably shouldn't talk like that. Like as adults someday, that probably isn't how we should talk. That's crudeness. Another kind is dishonesty. Paul dealt with that in verse 25, where he said, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And so lying, dishonesty, that's a kind of corrupting, rotten talk. Another is something we'll look at next week, which is gossip and slander. Those are to be put off. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That idea of that you're going to talk stuff about people that's going to make them look bad. That's corrupting, rotten talk. There's insults. Insults are words that are 
meant to wound, meant to hurt, meant to sting. Proverbs 12, 18 says that rash words are like sword thrusts. How often do we use our words like that? Take that. Sword thrusts. We even have a word for this. Trash talk. Think literally about what that means. Trash talk. Rotten talk. I was just talking trash. Exactly. (laughs) Next is domineering. Language that is meant to assert my power, assert that I'm in charge, put you in your place. Domineering kind of talk is rotten talk. Another kind that I, gosh, I'm, I'm far too guilty of this, is argumentativeness. Making a point just to make it. Stirring the pot, right? We say, well, <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate. Again, listen to your words. I'm just advocating what the devil wants. Right? And I, how many times have I done that? Well, I'm just trying to stir the pot. I'm just trying to get people to think. No, you're being argumentative. It's rotten talk. Complaining. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Complaining. Griping. Voicing ingratitude. Murmuring. This was the rotten talk in the exodus that grieved the spirit of God as the people of Israel were brought out of slavery and headed toward a promised land, and yet they were complaining. Well, let's just go back to when we were slaves. At least it was better then. I think complaining might be the biggest place where most of us experience rotten talk. Another one is sarcasm. Not the fun, we're all enjoying this kind of sarcasm, but the biting, hurtful Passive-aggressive kind of sarcasm is rotten language. There's another kind of rotten talk that's just careless. It's sloppy. It's unthinking. It's just just saying what you're going to say, and you don't really even think about how it might come across to people. And then the last one that I have here is sincere but hurtful. This is this one's a little different than all the others because this one is actually good things said at the wrong time. So this is when somebody gets the devastating news and you go, well, you know what? God works all things together for good. Hang in there. Okay, good thing to say, sincere motivation, but hurtful, rotten. That stinks to be on the receiving end of that. That hurts to be on the receiving end of that. And you might mean well, but it's actually rotten talk. Look at that list. I know you're going, no, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. No, you're here to hear this. (laughs) And you might look at this, and you might go, well, gosh, I guess I'm just never going to say anything. And frankly, that's not a terrible idea, because the (laughs) Proverbs say, Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. All right? So that's not a terrible idea. Just don't say anything. Just quit talking. But... Paul doesn't just stop here in this and say, don't talk anymore because it's all going to be garbage coming out. He says, no, don't just put something off, but put something on in its place. Put something on instead. Well, what are we to put on? Well, we're to put on encouragement. And I really work to try to think, is there a better word to describe this? Uh, And there might be, but I couldn't think of it. So, So the blanket kind of 
word I'm going to use is encouragement. Here's how he says it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So by encouragement, I don't mean flattery. Don't put on flattery. That's just another kind of rotten talk where you're using your words to manipulate people. But encouragement, real thoughtful words that are good to build people up, that give grace to people, that fit the moment. That's what we mean by encouragement. So I want to give us three questions to guide us that come really just right out of this verse. The first one is this. Is it good for building up? You notice how Paul says that? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. This is a construction term. It's positive. Something new is developing. Hopefully you had a chance as you came in today to notice the land that we own next door with the construction project that's happening. And if you were here last week or a few weeks ago and you haven't been here in a while, you noticed that there's now big walls And this thing's actually becoming vertical. It's really fun because the little pads look kind of small. But when you start seeing the big walls, you go, wow, something's developing here. Something creative, something beautiful, something is taking shape here. It's, It's constructive. It's being built up. Paul says that's how our words are to be. They're to be beautiful. They're to be creative. They're to be constructive. They're to build up. Another kind of old word to describe this is edification. They're to edify. This is a key concern of the Apostle Paul, by the way. Look at chapter 4, verse 12, if you have your Bible. He says the role of all of the leaders described in verse 11 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So the role of leaders is to help build up the church. Look at verse 16. When each part is working the way we should, it says, From whom Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the same word. So Paul's saying the role of leaders in the church is to build up, to construct, to edify, to encourage the body, the, the family of God. And the role of each person in the body is to play their role, to use their gifts, to serve in such a way that it makes the whole body, the whole family, the whole church built up. Well, if that's what we're all supposed to be doing, then it makes sense that our words would need to be building up. I had this a few months ago. I had a friend who called me and and said, you know what, I've, I've been praying for you And I've just noticed there's this thing that whenever this one topic comes up, you kind of minimize your influence about it, and you think, I don't really have anything to say. And I actually think you have a lot to say there, and whenever you talk about that, you actually are really helpful to those of us who hear you. And I want to just encourage you to keep keep talking about it. I went, oh, okay. Great. That was incredibly edifying. That built me up. That encouraged me. That was speech that was good for building up. Second question that maybe we need to ask is, does it fit the need of the moment? Does it fit the need of the moment? Paul says, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. 
This is another place where the English translators translate this differently. A number of translators say, according to the need. And that's what this word means. This word occasion means the thing that is lacking and therefore necessary. So he's not saying, you know, if it's a wedding, give a toast. If it's a birthday, sing happy birthday. That's not occasion like that. According to the need. What's the need? And so this means we should be not just saying what's right or even saying what's true or even saying what we think might be helpful, but we need to be asking, does this fit the need of this moment? Is this the right time to say this? Is this the right place to say this? Am I the right person to say this? Do they really need my input? Does this actually need to be said? I felt convicted about that as I was processing that this week. How many times with my kids, they do something, and they obviously know what they did wrong, and then I tell them what they did wrong, right? Oh, I left my blank at home, and I forgot it. Well, I told you, you need to remember that. (laughs) That doesn't fit the occasion, It doesn't fit the need of the moment. There's no need. They already know. They already get it. And I wonder how much of us as parents, we we kind of lose influence with our kids because we keep telling them what they already, what life just told them. It doesn't fit the need of the moment. You go, well, I'm being, I'm being, I'm shepherding them unhelpfully. I'm telling them what's true. Yeah, but that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say just speak what's true. He says speak what fits the occasion. Speak what fits the moment. When we lecture our kids, when we lecture people who already know what they should have thought, that's not helpful. So is it good for building up? Does it fit the need of the moment? And then third, will it be a gift to those who hear? That's what he says. No corrupting talk come out of our mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Maybe we should ask with our words, am I giving them a gift or myself a gift? Am I giving myself the gift of saying what I think needs said? Or am I giving them a gift of what they actually need to hear? Who are you serving with your language? Are you serving yourself? Are you trying to make a point or are you trying to make a difference? Who am I serving? Will it be a gift to those who hear? Now, the the temptation in all this is to think that, you know what, I guess I can never critique anything. I guess I can never give any negative feedback. I guess I can never point anything. That's not what Paul's saying at all. But what he is saying is the, the critique needs to give grace. That should be your motive, that should be your approach, is with a desire to give grace. Every Sunday, I will walk up to other pastors on our team, and I'll say, what do you got for me? And what that is, is an invitation to critique my message and to help me make it better. Which means if you come at nine, you have gotten an uncritiqued message. You should come at five. Really good at five. <laughs> and, and that's a very helpful thing. It is a grace 
for them to tell me that wasn't funny, that didn't make sense, you shouldn't have said that, tweak that. Now, I'm not looking for everything I could fix, because I can't fix everything, but just a few things. But what's not helpful for them is to say, you know what, it was great, that's awesome, just, just nail it, yeah, it couldn't get better. That's not helpful. That actually doesn't give me grace. It gives me grace for them to say, hey, here's something that could be just a little bit better. And so, this doesn't mean we just flatter people. It doesn't mean we blow smoke. It doesn't mean we just try to puff everybody up. This says, no, I'm going to ask, is this good for building up? Does it fit the need of the moment? And will it be a gift to those who hear it? Why? Why should we do this? What's the reason Paul gives? Well, it's in verse 30. It's because, third, you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Put off rotten talk. Put on encouragement because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it's not exactly clear, even in the commentators, of what this verse, does this refer to what came before it? Does this refer to what came after it? Most of the commentators seem to group it with what came before. It clearly fits with all of it. But it's interesting to reflect on because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word grieve means what you might think it means, to cause mental or emotional distress, to irritate, to vex, to offend, to sadden. If you are ever grieving the loss of something, you are vexed, you are saddened, you are in mental or emotional distress. That's how you feel, because you're grieved. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't grieve, don't sadden, don't vex. Don't, don't create emotional distress for the Holy Spirit. How would we do that? With corrupting talk. Now, I just want to pause for a moment because the Holy Spirit is often mysterious to us. And uh, many of you are starting to even think right now, how could you grieve the Spirit? Well, actually, the Holy Spirit is a person. Right, this is why in, in a lot of traditions a number of years ago, they, they called him the Holy Ghost to try to make him more personal. I'm not sure that helped. But... <laughs> But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is a person. Throughout Scripture, listen to what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit intercedes for believers. The Holy Spirit has thoughts, has desires, dwells in us, searches and investigates, teaches, leads the people of God, gives divine gifts and abilities. The Holy Spirit is therefore a person. And so what Paul is saying is the way we speak has the ability to make God the Holy Spirit, feel something. And in particular, when we speak rotten words to each other, it makes God sad. Isn't that how you feel as a parent or as a grandparent when you overhear your kids sniping at each other and bickering and complaining, right? You're in this amazing vacation. You're at some great place, and they're whining, and they're complaining, and they're ungrateful. How do you feel? Well, part of you feels angry, but a lot of you, doesn't it just feel sad? Like, ah, this is, 
this is so sad to hear them talk like this and treat one another like this. Part of why it's so sad is because we know what Jesus told us, which is that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's going on in your heart is actually what comes out with your words. And so when we hear it, especially when we hear it in other people or we hear it in our children, it grieves us. It makes us sad. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit of God. Speech is this interesting thing that reflects our likeness to God. Animals can't speak. They can moo, they can quack, they can hee-haw, they can neigh, and they can do all the things that I read to Hank in my little children's books about all the noises they make, but they don't talk. Human beings talk. We're made in the image of a speaking, communicating God. Jesus himself is described as the Word. He speaks in his presence and in his words. And therefore, when we use words to hurt one another, to tear one another down, to complain against God, even when we're trying to be helpful, but we actually hurt people with our words, it grieves God. It, it, it saddens the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who sealed us. Look at what it says, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word sealed means to be marked as a means of identification or ownership. Here's what it means. It means if you're a follower of Christ and you've trusted in Jesus and you've repented of your sin and you've put your hope in him, you've been filled with and dwelt by and sealed by the Spirit. In other words, he has marked you. He has branded you. That one's mine. And then when you talk like someone that isn't his, grieves him. Now, here's what I love about this passage. Paul doesn't say, put off rotten talk and put on encouragement or else you'll lose the Spirit. That would be bad news, right? Like you, I'd go, well, I'm going to go do something else because I'm, I'm clearly not a Christian. If every time I used rotten words, if I said rotten things, I lost my salvation, no, 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 no. You don't lose this relationship with God, but it does sadden the Spirit. Some of us, we don't have a great category for this because some of us, we came from a place where we always were taught that at any moment, God was either going to be happy with us or sad with us or mad with us or angry or ecstatic. And so we constantly live like we're walking this tightrope to try to please this God who has this hair trigger emotion and is going to at any moment be disappointed in us. Any of you grow up with that kind of thinking of God? And then you come into a place like Redemption Gateway where we proclaim the gospel that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you are forgiven not by your works, but by grace, and that the grace that saves you is the grace that keeps you going. And you begin to go, ah. Oh. And you'll even hear preachers say things like, there is nothing that you could do that would make God love you less and make God love you more. And you start to experience all this freedom. But the danger of it is you almost can, can so reject your old way and so embrace the way of grace that you start to think God's like this wooden figure who doesn't feel anything and oh God can't ever be sad by my behavior because you know what I'm saved by grace and this verse says no you you're saved by grace 
And there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can say or do that will make God love you less or more. And because of that, when you use rotten words, it makes God sad. Just like there's nothing your kids are going to say or do to each other that's going to make you go, all right, we're just leaving you at Disneyland. Don't love you anymore. (laughs) You love them, but it makes you sad. It grieves you. We have a relationship with a God who is a personal God. He cares what we do. Not to try to earn more grace with him, but because of all the grace he's given, he wants us to live new lives. This is actually a really uh, hopeful passage, believe it or not. Because here's what it means. You actually have the power with your words to change the world. So you go, I'm just living my life. I'm just trying to raise my kids. I'm just trying to do my job. I don't know if I'm making a difference in the world. No, you, you, you really are. Some of you, some of you, you can specifically remember what a second grade teacher told you. And you're doing what you're doing in your life now because of an encouragement you got back then. Others of you, you are still wrestling with the name or the label or the words that somebody negatively said about you. And decades later, you're still fighting with it. Here's what it says in Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is why Paul is saying, hey, if you're a Christian, live with a tongue that gives life, not that gives death. A tongue that gives building up rather than decaying and rotting away. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But listen, you and I cannot obey this verse without the power of the Spirit. I mean, we can't. Like, I don't wake up in the morning naturally building up, thinking about, oh, what's the need of the moment? This will really give... I I wake up thinking about me and about what I think's right and what I want to say. And I need the Holy Spirit to guide me and to fill me and to give me a new power to speak words that actually give grace. And so do you. So maybe this is a time as we come to the table in just a moment, a time to reflect and a time to repent and a time to ask God to fill us, to make us people who can give life rather than create death with our words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Your words that do cut us like a surgeon's scalpel trying to remove these parts of our character that disfigure us and grieve you. And thank you for the words that build up, that strengthen, that put us back together, that offer us hope. God, thank you that we don't lose you that you've sealed us. But God, we want to be people who bring you delight and pleasure and joy with the way we speak and the way we live. Give us that grace, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.